welcome to Afroability, a conversation about African business and technology. Today we're going to talk about Jumia, the largest e-commerce player in Africa. We'll discuss its founding, seminal points in its history, eventual 2019 IPO, and end with our views on its future prospects. This episode was recorded on May 3rd, 2020. Why are we even talking about Jumia? I think our last episode, it came up when we were talking about fintech investments, right? Yeah, I think Jumia is really the, the example of a, what a, a poster child for technology investing or technology startups in, in Africa generally, right? They're one of the first to get to this scale and definitely the first to be listed in the US and the first to experience like this massive unicorn status and then subsequent valuation. Jumia. What is Jumia, actually? Before we even get into Jumia, we should talk about like African e-commerce and like why it's super interesting. In Nigeria, in many parts of Africa, ex-South Africa, really, there's limited infrastructure. Logistics is a challenge. It's hard to find customers' mm. addresses, hard to deal with things like payments, credit services. You have to build all those things from scratch. But also, at the same time, there's a significant amount of opportunity. There's mm. a billion people in Africa, um, 200 million people roughly in Nigeria, that's the promise of the opportunity. If you can get these people online, you can get the same kind of valuation and same kind of business as you had in the US with Amazon or eBay. It's weird that e-commerce would be one of the more attractive segments because it's it's technically a very low margin business. Like even for Amazon at scale, they don't make that much money. They make money from other things. So we'll, we'll come back to this later. But e-commerce, even in the most advanced countries, tends to be a low margin business. But let's let's talk about Jimmy specifically. But it's, but it's tangible. It's tangible. Um, so yeah, but but yeah. is business about tangibility or about money? I think business is about raising money is about tangibility. But like, let's, agree, <laughs> let's disagree. Okay. Let's agree to disagree. Okay. 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 So what is Jumia? Jumia does three things. Jumia has a marketplace. Uh, sellers yes. with consumers is how they describe it. They also have a logistics business, which they use to ship their own packages. And they also offer that as a service to external parties. Yes. They finally have a payment service, which they use to process primarily only their own payments. It's not externalized now. And that yes. has been growing. Some numbers for scale to see what Jumia is. 2019, from the latest annual report, 6 million active customers, 110,000 mm. active sellers, 1.1 billion euros gross merchandise value, which is the value of yeah. everything sold. 2019 revenue, 160 million euros, but losing to 30 million euros, 5,000 employees. If you look at all the countries Jumia is in, the population of those countries combined is between 500 and 600 million. It already shows they're super early in the adoption curve. It's basically, they have less than 1% of the actual people living in those countries as active users. Um, it's, so anyway, it's, cynic, it's cynic by say. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, yeah, um, yes. Okay. What is more so, interesting about Jumia though is yeah. they're an African e-commerce company incorporated right. in Germany. They're yes. all their annual reports are listed in euros. They're listed yes. in New York and headquartered yes. in Dubai. Fascinating. Uh, Fascinating. I don't think that's controversial. Many people think that's controversial. Many Nigerians take it for super personal. Oh yes. I yes. think it's like neither here nor there. I think it happens. Um, you know. Let's assume majority of the employees are in Nigeria, except yes. the guys who make a lot of money, like the developers yeah. are in Portugal and the CEO yes. is in Dubai. Okay, let me add a few things to what Bankway said. So in addition to uh, the businesses Bankway said for Jumia, actually Jumia used to be in a shitload of other businesses before. So I'll quickly rattle through them. Most of these businesses have been dwindled, reduced, spun off, whatever. 
But there used to be um, Jumia Travel, which was Jovago, Yovago. There used to be Jumia Food, which was Hello Food. It's still in some countries. There used to be Jumia Deals. There used to be Jumia House, which was also Lamudi. There used to be Jumia Cars, which was Carmudi. On a, so there's like a long list. Just throw everything like, on most, the wall and see what sticks. Yeah, most of them have been discontinued or reduced. So we're only going to focus on the big three. Jumia Marketplace, Jumia Pay, and Jumia Logistics. Uh, founding and launch. So 2012, Jumia began its life as Kasua. Right. So it began as a fashion retailer, fashion e-commerce. And there was basically a 10 million investment from Rocket Internet to start that. And there were two founders, one notable founder, Rafael Afedor. Afedor? I can't pronounce that guy's name. I hope doesn't listen to this again, Matt. Anyway, Raf, mad love for you, but but Kasua was a Rocket Internet company. Bankolo, what's your take on Rocket Internet? I think it's brilliant. I think somebody should have yeah, so <laughs> I'm going to do a quick diversion, then I'll come back to the um, origin story. So Rocket Internet is basically an incubator slash VC firm that spins out a bunch of companies, most notably e-commerce companies. And they try to use businesses that have sort of worked in other markets and make them scale in developing markets. So Africa, Asia, so on and so forth. And then hopefully they try to sell or do an IPO. So Rocket Internet has a mixed reputation. I think what they do is interesting. The negative part of the reputation is a lot of people think, why are they copying other businesses? The positive part of the reputation is they're willing to take more risk and investing in developing markets. So Rocket Internet is gonna come back a lot in this story. So Kasua was founded in 2012, like I said. Separately, Sabunta, also another Rocket Internet company, was focused on general merchandise. Um, and they were led by Tunde Kende. That I can definitely pronounce because I'm Yoruba. So Tunde, mad love, easy, no problems. So two different rocket internet companies, one focused on fashion, one focused on general merchandise. At some point, they merged. It's called a merger, but it looks more like Kasua acquired Sabunta. So probably behind the scenes, Rocket was like, but we have two companies. They're sort of doing similar things. Let's just combine them. So the combined entity changed its name to Jumia around May or June. So Jumia formed as a combination of these two companies. Since those two companies already had their CEOs and heads, the formation they ended up going for was there were co-CEOs, so Tunde and Raphael, and then there were still other group founders, so Sasha and Jeremy. Uh, so technically, if you look, Jumia's founders are technically Sasha and Jeremy, but the actual Nigerian founders who were running Sabunta and Katsua were Tunde and Raphael. It was incorporated in Germany, like uh, Bankole said, the headquarters in Dubai. So it has a pretty decentralizing team. What's interesting is they first of all launched in Nigeria and Morocco. I remember being in Lagos at the time all of this was happening. They were hiring a lot. Mm. They were growing gangbusters and they were throwing mm. a lot of money at people. There was a huge promise. There was there was definitely a huge promise and belief that we too could have e-commerce and payments. There were strong headwinds against them, but there was huge promise and potential. Rocket Internet actually took a lot of risk here. Like we can see Kasua was a $10 million investment. We don't have the details on the numbers for Sabunsa, but probably was also as high because general e-commerce is higher than just fashion retail. At some point in 2013, they started to brand all their different African businesses with a holding company called Africa Internet Group, uh, which is called AIG. It's not AIG, it's AIH, African Internet Holdings. Yes, yes, AIH. Yeah. AIG is a different yeah, a company. Yeah. Um, thank you, thank you. Yeah, AIG is <laughs> an insurance company. So, no, but but it, it, what was interesting is that they believed. I actually have a different point of view when you said uh, they took a risk and invested. It's one of the things mm. where if everybody thinks it's risky and everybody's investing, then it's not risky anymore. I think mm -hmm. 2011 to 2015, 2014, mm -hmm. if you will, but definitely the great mm -hmm. days for African investing. Uh, this is post the financial crisis in 2008. 
Everybody's yeah. looking for high yield. Interest, interest rates were very low in the US and Africa was supposed to be the next continent. This place was dripping with opportunity, the next China. A lot of people were investing. Do you see a lot of people investing in African businesses in general or e-commerce businesses? Technology-enabled businesses. Technology businesses, I see, yeah. I see. So, okay. so I, I'm, I'm less cynical about that. I, I, a lot of people from the West or Western-educated Nigerians with that yeah. ability to bridge both markets yeah. were able to... Raise some money. I don't. I'm not saying it was okay. easy, but I'm saying it was. Okay. It was happening. African Internet Holdings then basically had a bunch of other companies in addition to Jumia. They had Kaimu, Lamudi, basically all those brands we spoke about earlier. And then MTN acquired a 33% stake in AIH in 2013 December. MTN we heard in our last podcast. We already know what MTN is. Major telco, South African, and now they own a third of AIH. So a third was still owned by Rocket, and another third was owned by Millicom, which I'd never heard about until three weeks ago. Apparently, they're a Latin American telco. So two telcos and then Rocket. Yep. 33, 33, 33% in 2013. And then 2014, something interesting happened. Tell me, what happened? <laughs> the two Nigerian CEOs quit, and they were replaced by other CEOs. They formed companies that were based on what they had already worked on at Jumia. So Rafael, we spoke about who was the original founder of Kosua. He started Supermarket NG, and then Tunde founded Ace, which is a logistics company. I guess he looked at it and was like, well, I'm the head of this company. Really, what we need is the logistics. When I start my own company, I'm going to focus on logistics. Rafael started like, well, actually, I'm going to focus on the supermarket part of this business. So very different. Angles. You know what I just remember now is I met Tell Rafael me. when I was in Unilag. <laughs> I legit, How? he came to talk to electrical engineering students about ClueClue.ng, which is what he did before Kasuo, I think. Okay. And he was just one-man army who went to HBS and just like seemed to be crushing yeah. life and being a singular pioneer in e-commerce, right? Um, yeah. And I remember being super inspired by him. I like to call like entrepreneurs superheroes. So more background about Raphael. So he used to work at Monster.com, Goldman Sachs. He was an engineer. And then a, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then a bunch of other related um, companies. And Kuku.com, the bank alluded to, was sort of like a, a Groupon mass deals site, but focused on developing markets. Yeah. So Supermart.ng, interesting side story. I used to use Supermart.ng a lot when I was in Nigeria. And one of the times when I used it, he came with the delivery guy. <laughs> so we're like, okay, well, the founder just wants to make sure like customer satisfaction is up to, to the right level. Okay, so that was 2014. 2015, they got a new Nigerian CEO, Juliet Anama. The other CEOs who would replace Rafael already quit. So you can already see there's some churn here. Again, 2014, the two Nigerian CEOs quit. They got two other CEOs, Jeremy and Nicholas. And then by 2015, they had another CEO. So between within three years, they've had five CEOs. Two of them are, you know, co-CEOs, but a lot of churn in a short amount of time. Interesting story about the CEOs that took over from Rafael, McKinsey people, Nicholas, and then the other guy from Jumia Egypt. Interesting that there's already a thread line of um, consultants or bankers, yeah. which is usually the Rocket Internet playbook for when they get their CEOs. They also raised a bunch of money. I was looking through how much they raised in total, $824 million. That is a lot wow. of money to raise. And that's in seven, eight years, seven years until IPO, yeah. right? $800 million. Like There was a Series wow. A in 2012, Series B in 2013, Series C in 2014. Mm. So mm-hmm. Series A, 2012, 40 million euros. And this is not mm-hmm. even the Rocket seed money they raised, right? The Rocket Casosa yes. Sabunta seed money doesn't even include that. Yes. Um, yeah. Series A, 40 million in 2012. Series B, 130 million euros in 2013, yeah. January. Yeah. <laughs> One year after November 2014, 150 million euros. 2016, 
360 million euros. That was the MTN money that came through. Yeah, and Goldman Sachs. And Goldman Sachs. And just quickly highlight that point. That was when they reached their unicorn status. Yeah. That one billion uh, valuation was the 2016, uh, the 326 million. Yeah. So basically, they sold like a third or something to Goldman Sachs and MTN. So first African unicorn at that point. Yeah, that was like I think that's a lot of money. 800 million dollars includes how much they raised uh, through like a private mm-hmm. placement mm-hmm. in the IPO as well. But yeah, 790 doesn't. It's not you know 700 and something. It's not small money either. Previously, we we're talking about African internet holdings and all these other companies. Sometime in 2016, the middle of 2016, African internet holdings, AIH, went away and everything was now just called the Jumia Group. Yeah. So all those former brands we spoke about, KMU, HelloFood, whatever, they just had Jumia names. Yeah. So Jumia Group is now basically Rocket Internet's holding company in Africa. Yeah. So now there's a difference between like Jumia Group and Jumia Nigeria. Also, there's another company we haven't spoken about, Conga. And Bankly, before we talk about the IPO, should we quickly talk about Conga? Because Conga's story unfolded before the IPO. Yeah, Conga, is, Conga was a similar similar space, similar yes, business, correct. e-commerce retail yes, company. Yes. Founded yes. by HBS alumna yes. as well, which is interesting. Lots of HBS alumna in both businesses. Yeah, a, a lot. It, this story is linked with at least four or five HBS people and at least three or four uh, McKinsey people. Yeah. So there's a common thread. That's good. Here. Um Congo raised $108 million. Yeah. And by the time they were acquired, I think in 2015, when they were acquired? 20, 2018, February. Oh my goodness. Yeah. The acquisition value was reportedly about $10 million. The rumors I saw was their valuation was between three and $400 million. So for your valuation to go from between three hundred and four hundred dollars to ten, it's basically 95% reduction in value. NASPAS, NASPAS is, backed out, sold, took yes, their money, put exactly. it in... Um, they put it in Take A Lot in South Africa. And Take A Lot in South yes. Africa has been... On a tier. So NASPAR is also, yeah. by the way, NASPAR is the king of all investing in the world. Yes. Um, because they backed Tencent and made a ton of money. And yes. backed many other businesses and made a ton of money. And when yes. they realized that like the Conga stuff was not going anywhere, they tried to measure with some of their other businesses, Dio De Calari. Yeah. Didn't work. And then um, they backed Take A Lot. Take A Lot is, is completely private. And the CEO came out to say, we are four times the size of Junior. Because Jumia has to report numbers, they don't. They're like, we can see Jumia's numbers, but for X Jumia yeah. by just being in South Africa. That was food for thought, you know, Selah. Yeah. So where, where are we in this story? So we spoke about Jumia's founding. We spoke about their growth phase, massive valuation increasing. They got to a billion dollar unicorn status in 2016. And then Conga basically sold at a 90% loss in 2018. Yeah. So strangely enough, even when Conga took that loss, Jumia's valuation is still high, right? Because by that 2018, it's not like Jumia was valued at a low number yeah. because they were just about to IPO for also around a billion dollars. Yeah. So strangely, the impact of Conga's failures didn't negatively impact Jumia. And there are a lot of reasons for, for yeah. that. We can talk about that And later. the narrative was not so much that e-commerce was not a good business is why Conga got sold for a depressed valuation. It was that yeah. Jumia won. Yeah. That was the narrative. Was yeah. it Jumia won? Yeah. There are two ways you can interpret the story. You can say one one, therefore the you know the, the victor gets all the spoils, or the market is fundamentally too early, too difficult. Therefore, both of them should have taken a cut. But I think the market took what Bankoli said. Yeah. One victor, Wait, so they take the, I, I, the spoils. The story is not done. I think the story is not done. I am. Yeah. Okay. I am a bit I, bullish, you know, bearish, bullish, bearish about it. So let's go. Yes. Sorry. So I interrupted you earlier. You're, you're going to start talking about the IPO. We took a quick diversion yeah. because the conga piece is interesting. So the IPO was fun. I, I, I probably start with a, a bit of a personal story, right? I remember, oh. I think 2019 yeah. in the IPO, mm-hmm. I have friends working in investment management and be like, hey, hey you're Nigerian. Have you heard of this thing? And I'm like, mm. I have. I also v- v- vaguely heard the IPOing. It's like, yeah, it's the future <laughs> of retail and all that stuff. I'm sure it's going to pop. I'm like, whoa. I don't know I would be that bullish about it, but 
Yeah. You know, there's something there. But there was a lot more excitement mm. in the West about it. There was a lot of excitement. Almost everybody I knew in investment management called me to personally ask me, like, my experience shopping on Chamia. And I'm like, mm. wow, there's there was a lot of, uh, of stock pickers trying to pick that stock. Some broader global context for the audiences. Based on Amazon's success, a lot of people started to figure out, okay, what are going to be the other success stories so we can get in early and get that appreciation in other markets? And then there was the Alibaba thing, there's the China thing, there are a bunch of players in India. Let me not get into detail, but that's for another podcast. So a lot of people thought, okay, this is the quote unquote African version of Amazon, get in early. And yeah, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about how that played out. But I guess there was a lot of hype because this is the first major e-commerce focused company going public, um, focused on, on Africa. I saw the net IPO. proceeds from the IPO overall, mm-hmm. IPO private placement, $280 million. So they're sitting pretty, right? And at this point, the valuation was $1.1 billion. So you can see the valuation went up from a billion in 2016 with the Goldman Sachs MTN. And now they're IPOing 2019, $1.1 billion. And the stock price actually went up a lot. It went up by 70% on the first day. So pretty fabulous. And sometime during that first week, the stock price went up from the IPO price of $14.50 to like $40, $49. So huge run up. This is so many podcasts with mm. investing guys, Motley Fool and Ty being like, yeah, yeah. Jumia is the Amazon of Africa. But I was just like, do you even know what you're talking about? Like yeah. they wanted to believe this narrative so badly. So by the end of the first week, the stock price went up to $49.77. And the implied valuation from that is $3.8 billion. So this is now unbelievably nice great hype but what happened next not the best experience basically a month after the ipo citroen which is basically a short selling company one of the world's report. most famous short selling companies <laughs> one of the world's most famous short sell they had a report and the quick summary of the report was they said there were some discrepancies in what jumia showed in the confidential presentation in 2018 october versus the f1 filing in 2019 april what happens in the f1 filing is you're supposed to give all the information that's pertinent to your business so public investors can value well. And Citroen said they'd hit or inflated or changed some of the numbers. Most specifically, they said the consumer and active merchant figures were inflated and they'd remove some information about returns. So as a result of that, they felt like the value of the stock was w- w- way too high. And everybody panicked. Everybody yeah. was like, wait, what? Nigerian? Yeah. The Nigerian prince? Gonna sell me e-commerce? And everybody panicked and ran away. I, I think that was a, yeah. it was a weird moment for everybody. I think... It was also interesting because everybody in the Nigerian tech scene, I don't want to speak, not everybody, some people yeah. were just like, what is happening here? As the stock yeah. kept going up day by day, I remember being like, how is this happening? But maybe there's something I don't know. Like, I am i don't live in Nigeria, you know, so maybe I don't know what's, yeah. what's happened, what's changed. And then Citron happened and then everybody came out and everybody had questions and everybody kept shitting on it, basically. I think there's stuff in the Citron report that we should probably yeah. spend maybe a couple, t- couple minutes on that. Let's talk about the items individually. So the first one was Jumi inflated its active consumers and active merchants by 20 to 30%. Um, now, obviously, this is a big deal because if your active consumers are actually lower by 30%, that's going to have a material impact on all your numbers. They also said Jumia removed from its F1 important information that 41% of its orders were either returned or not delivered. So... It also spoke a little about the J-Force, which is what I wanted to talk about. So, Bankley, do you want to talk about either of those first two elements, or do you nah, want to talk about ahead, the J-Force? Okay, out. so what's J-Force? J-Force is a way Jumia tries to increase sales by going through J-Force agents. And J-Force agents, they find customers, they talk to those customers, convince them to buy. Then the J-Force agents places the order for the customer on Jumia's sites. 
and then they receive the order, they deliver the product, and then eventually they earn a commission after the customer has paid and received it's it. It's affiliate but, marketing, but with human beings. Exactly. It's human. Thank you. Now, obviously, there are ways to game the system, which is what the um, Citroen report alluded to. And the way to game it is you could place fake orders, get the money anyway. And even if the orders aren't fulfilled, you'd get your commission because the J-Force agents get commissions on completed orders. Now, it's not supposed to be that easy because you're only supposed to get a commission when the order has actually been placed and received by the customer. So they colluded with actual employees at Jumia to inflate the numbers, get their commissions, even for fake orders. At this point, about 10 to 30% of all Jumia stocks were now short. So the, the stock price reduced and a lot of people were now taking short positions against the stock. So that's 2019. The other thing that yeah. came up was this GMV, they have 30% returns. At first you think, if 30% of everything you sell is returned, that can be good. <laughs> it cannot be But good. I looked yeah. it up, it's actually not that high for e-commerce. Really? Yeah, it's fairly really common. For, what are the comparables? Compared Shopify to says the most profitable customers on Shopify, which runs the entire yeah. internet X Amazon, have 32% yeah. return rate. Like a return rate is high because you offer, like it allows you to purchase more, but you have to eat the cost of logistics. So 30% return huh. rate for e-commerce yes. is... Sounds bad. What's Amazon's um, return Good. rate? Do we have that information? No. Shopify says for its best is 30. What about for the average for all it, its customers? It, people, it, it varies, but the idea is the ret higher return rates means higher sales. Because the reason your return rates are high is because you make it easy for people to return, which makes it easy for yes, people to buy. Yes. Fascinating. So it's okay. sort of built into okay. e-commerce that people would only mm -hmm. buy if shipping is free and that can do returns. Otherwise, people wouldn't buy. Yes. So you have yes. to balance that, like a return policy that makes sense with that, especially for general okay. merchandise. Maybe not for furniture okay. and stuff like that. That would be crazy if you sold yeah. furniture and you have to pay for shipping yeah. both ways. It's really interesting. Yeah. I didn't even realize that. Maybe the complication is that 30 to 40% also included like not delivered and cancellations, which are a little bit different because if people keep on canceling, that's a weird sign of like lack of customer. Either they don't understand how to use the platform yeah. or there's some weird... Like the J-Force thing we alluded to. There's stuff on. to Who parse knows? there is what I'm saying. There's exactly. There's definitely there. stuff to parse. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Moving right along in the story. Yes. So now 2019 October, it's getting very, very close to today. The lockup period ended. So quick context. Well, what is a lockup period? Lockups are meant to prevent insiders from dumping turds on the market. So if you have a lot of inside information, let's say you're the VC or you're the entrepreneurs, you can't sell until six months after the IPO. Therefore, you take a lot of risk and the whole market can adjust and you can't quickly say there's an IPO, then the next day you sell at the inflated valuation. You actually have to wait. Interestingly for Jumia, well, there wasn't that much selling after the lockup ended, which is very, I, I was surprised to, to learn that. Maybe the reason there wasn't a lot of selling was at this point, the stock price was now $7. So remember that IPO'd at 14. So it's now down 50%. It's an interesting point because if a lot of people have a negative view on Jumia, they may be like, well, there was going to be like a pump and dump. But apparently there wasn't at this point. Nothing happened with the, that. But also because the investors had lost 50, I mean, 50 percent, not lost, but 50 percent of the expected valuation and IP is gone. So a rational yeah. thing to do would be say, why cut our losses now? Let's give yeah. the stock some time to rebound. The promise of Africa e-commerce, why we invested in this in the first place. 29th November, things started to get even worse. So Jumia shut down a bunch of their small markets. They left Tanzania, Cameroon, Rwanda, and they started to really position Jumia Pay as the future of the company. You heard in our last podcast, fintech investments were booming, fintech valuations were booming. They already had a payment platform because they're an e-commerce site. So it makes sense. And if you look at the Alibaba, Alipay, eBay, PayPal, there is, there is a story to be told about 
developed this payments platform because we had an e-commerce site. Now this payments platform is potentially has a growth curve. It can be used for other companies. It can be used for other things. So the takedowns were really sudden, but if you know Rocket Internet, um, we spoke about them earlier. Closing down businesses for them happens pretty quickly and they're pretty like vicious about pulling the cord. So that was 2019, November. Yeah, and then what's the part where Rocket divests the investment? So Rocket is not involved in Jumia today. Yes. Yeah, so, so three weeks ago, like this story is so, oh, I'm so glad we did this episode. So three weeks ago, Rocket divested all their stake. So Rocket, the superheroes from the beginning of the story, um, they sold all their holdings in Jumia. Now, obviously, they probably preferred to have sold after the lockup in November, because by the time they sold, the price had gone down even further to $4. So it's now 70% down. So they had the ability to sell as of October, but they only sold it in, in um, later. Now, let me clarify something about this announcement. They announced three weeks ago that they sold it. When they asked them the specific dates, they said they started to sell between 2019 November and 2020 March. So really, they waited for the lockup and, and then they started to sell. They fit in the market so they don't, they don't exactly. shift the price or their volume. Yes, yes, yes. Because if you own 11%, uh, they owned 11% as of 2019 November. If you sell everything, you're going to spook the market and everything is going to go down. So they started to sell gradually. Yeah. Um, and, and they finished selling right before COVID, which is, which is interesting because... COVID should have a positive impact on Jumia. The other thing that I find interesting is, on one hand, I was like, well, they got in super early. So as bad as it is. They got in early. No, they're the earliest. is their company. But, but, it, <laughs> but it, they, they, they tripped in every round, right? So, yeah, yes, so yes. then, you know, it might not be as great. Like they, I'm sure the S&P 500 would have outperformed their, their Jumia investment over that time. Um, of course. Which of is course. not saying a lot, to be honest. It was a lot of work and a lot of money and a lot of pain. Now we can start to give our overall thoughts about it. Uh, Bankley, you want to give some of your, your so thoughts? So I feel like there's a, Jumia is a fascinating company to me as a consumer, as a Nigerian. Mm. There's a bull case and there's a bear case. There's a, what's the best case scenario for the stock? Okay. I should check what Jumia is trading at right now. It's about $3.80. Um, and there's a bull case and there's a bear case. There's a, what do you have to believe for this to be true? A lot of things yeah. you have to believe for this to be, for, for Jumia to create, how I think about this is for value creation of multiples above its IPO price, right? Yeah. It's more like one is the, the opportunity is, is real, is real and existent. Like there's a lot of people in Nigeria. It's a young population. It's a mobile first population. They don't have significant competition. They yeah. are like well capitalized. They have access to Western markets for funding. Yes. Uh, consuming is just like people will consume things. Um, the other thing is also right now it's a contrarian bet, like given the size of the prize, like everybody thinks it's a bad idea. I think that's how you make a lot of money. They make a lot of money by people agreeing with you. You make a lot of money True. by being by disagreeing with the consensus and being right. Because Amazon has gone through a phase like this before. I think that's a very common thing as well. Critics will yeah. say Nigeria, most African Nigeria, which is the primary market, has been yeah. Did you, did you know Nigeria has not grown in real GDP terms since 2014, by the way? I, I wouldn't be, be flat. And it's like, if the market I'm is not growing, how are you going to be in that kind of market and expect to grow? But yeah, South Africa has been in the same way and Take A Lot has just torn through that market and it's growing gangbusters. So I... Yeah. Yeah. That's stuff, right? Yeah. So if the whole market isn't growing, the digital part of the economy so can still grow. And you're part of that. So, so you can still win. It's just your point is it's hard. GDP doesn't even do is, digital measurement very well. Think of how GDP is measured. Exactly. Right? So, mm. The yeah. other thing is also like the fraud, the Citron report and the fraud stuff. It's like the return rate is not that uncommon in e-commerce. Mm. People return stuff a mm. lot. You've probably returned 30% of your orders. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
<laughs> and they did they did respond by and large to some of the stuff in the in the report. So there were some related yeah. party transactions where the CEO bought some business back from the company and then sold it back to the company for a couple tens of thousands of dollars and things. Just they don't. It doesn't smell good. It's not fraudulent, yeah. but it just doesn't look good. You know, it just yeah. smells yeah. bad. Um, yeah. But they do have a board. They do have investors. Like yeah. there has to be some oversight. This is not. A, this is not a founder-led company at all. It's. It's not a founder-owned company. The founders yeah. own one percent each, one point four percent each of the equity. So yeah. I'm not that convinced that like the the CEOs are going to be able to make eighty grand or something. Like it's. I. I'm. It's smoke. Okay. Right. That's one. Okay. That's okay. Yeah, That's my bookcase. Okay. If you look at some of the data on on like customer service, right? There's 78% yes. of online shoppers in the key markets bought in Gmail in the last 12 months. 88% mm. of Gmail shoppers have repurchased on Jumia as well. It's 9% of online shoppers who recommend Jumia to a friend. Like they are the only ones that exist, right? They did a survey across the world. The only ones that exist, they have incredible brand recall. Yeah, I mean, they launched eight years ago. I hope they have brand recall. So, so it's like, sure. do people think that there's something there? If there's something here, then it's going to be Jumia to win it, right? That, yeah. That's one perspective. Yeah. Now the bear case, right? The cynical yes. case. It, it, but, but by the way, can I just yeah. say, your bull case sounded super bearish to me. But anyway, no, as, as we were saying, I was like, what kind no, of shit? No, just for the audience, um, bull means the super positive case. So that was his positive case where he was not no, so positive. The bull case is basically, there's a big market and a big opportunities across Africa. And Jimmy is well positioned to yeah. win, it, right? Yes. The market is an opportunity, Jimmy is well positioned to win. It. They're right in front. The bear case is, first of all, nobody wants this. If you think about like yeah. jobs to be done and that like what they're competing with is not... It's not an individual going to the store. Is those same individuals that are having access to people they can send to the store. So they're competing against labor almost, right? And you know, your labor is super cheap, right? But then you could argue, well, same in India. And labor is cheap in India, but e-commerce has gotten some traction. Yeah, and China. <laughs> not, some, not some profit, but some traction. <laughs> um, uh, but the size of the opportunity is bigger. Different point of view, you could say like, small market, small opportunity, right? Economy has been yeah. flat to negative since 2014. Hmm. The currency devaluation is always going to put them in trouble if they're raising, they raising money in the U.S. and having to remit back. money yeah. to investors. Yeah. But, but, but isn't that to their advantage? They raise it in dollars and then Naira gets. Oh, but the person who wants the money back, so it's not like it's not a gift. You're not going to give them your money if you think you're going to get it back yes. at half. Yes. So if you think about okay. it, they raised Touché. they raised all this money in 2014. Let's look at the 2014 series, right? If you say 40 million, they raised in yeah. 2012. Yeah. At, yeah, at, at, 160, at 160 and now it's it's 400 so basically even if they, they need to give back at least 3x <laughs> least, to break even at least 3x of, of GMV to break even right the other the other piece of the book case is Amazon was able to build on top of existing infrastructure because definitely yes. so like U, U, UPS yes. USPS FedEx doesn't exist yes. Uh, yes. the banks and payments infrastructure doesn't quite exist if you don't like, US yes. payments is probably the worst place than than Nigerian payments as a whole, but it's just yeah. the logistics has just been a long pole, not so much payments. Okay. I, cool. I'm not doing my beer case. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wow. no beer okay. <laughs> this is like a book. What okay. I went through now, so that's the market. The market is like the, the market beer cases, it's small and declining. Yeah. From the company uh perspective, looking at it, it's like it's unprofitable in this time of corona, right? They mm-hmm. have Expenses growing as fast, growing twice as fast as the revenue. Um, expenses are growing forty two percent, twenty eighteen to nineteen. Revenue twenty four percent. 
Um, a couple of one-time items in there, but nothing that explains it. Like, just nothing that explains yeah. it. It's not a good thing. Yeah. GNA yeah. is up 50%. Fulfillment exp- five zero. Yeah, five zero. Fulfillment expense is up 50%. Lord. I do not know what is happening with their cost structure. I, I don't mm-hmm. understand it, right? The other thing that about the company to think about is they've tried everything. They've tried, they've everything. tried everything. Everything. They've tried J4s. They've tried customer adoption Everything. centers. You know, the, you know yeah. they have like showrooms for e-commerce. School didn't work. With a, with a computer. The yeah. Google they tried neighborhood oh captains. God. People who go to people's houses and knock and ask if you want to order on Jumia. That was the thing. I was looking through their, their, their annual reports. They had like a tanker talk about like Black Friday or like 1 billion page views and three. Like, how about, how, yeah, how, how much did you sell? So I looked through their Q4 results and the Q4 is like 49 million revenue. Versus 14 million in Q2 or Q3. So it's like, they don't even get a massive Q4 bump. I think Amazon has, for context, Amazon has 30, 40% in Q4 alone. They, they have maybe 20% or 25% in Q4. So it's not, not even close. Is that 2018? In 2018, the losses have bottomed out. They clearly have not. I, and there were all kinds of statements I found in the Jumia annual report that just made me go, that doesn't say anything. Our gross profit, less fulfillment expense. It's like saying I'm rich except all the debt that I have. And then there's the there's the fraud stuff, right? I there's not it just smells bad. And with things like fraud or governance, if it smells bad, you want to stay far away from it. There are several law firms who have this like, are you an investor in Jumia? Did you ever invest in Jumia? Reaching out people, there's so many class action suits suits coming up. Wow. And Spirit story is awful. Two of them have been thrown 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 out, but there's still more. But this is the this is the the most interesting part of the beer case. Nothing else matters Tell me. because they don't have enough money to find out if they will be successful <laughs> yes they don't have enough money to tell me more about that because i have some thoughts on that they have 170 million in cash <laughs> at the end of last year okay what happens when a public company is running out of cash i, I feel like it's the same thing that happens when people run out of cash man they just don't they just stop eating yeah it's, like it's not i don't think it's um, so they have 170 million in like in cash cash equivalents and one is two million in net op- negative net operating cash flow. Mm-hmm. I looked through the reports. These guys are one and a half, two years from running out of money because they're going to have to raise money from other people. Yeah. And it's hard to raise money now, given Corona also. Yes. Uh, and yeah. it's like, how do you have enough cash to fund one year of losses and you don't have access to raise other kinds of money? Yeah. And they have a lot of fixed costs. Yeah. And also, this is going to be part of my very case, but Rocket Internet saw all the numbers. They were there from the start. They sold everything over the past two to three months. Well, what does that tell you? Like the company, Rocket Internet is, they know a lot about developing markets. They were there from the start. They're the biggest investor, biggest stakeholder until MTN overtook them three years ago. And they have more visibility than, than you have. You're looking at the public statements. They're talking to everyone and they sold. So that if that's not a red flag, I don't know what a red flag is. They sold everything to zero. So And they ha- and their competition and even in their payments area, it's like if the ah, payments is a bright spot, yeah, yeah. the competition there is, is wild, man. Yeah, I mean, we, sp- we spoke about it uh, two weeks ago and Jumia Pay was just like one of like 16. We spoke about yeah. Palm Pay. They have the pre-install like advantage. Yeah. We spoke about Opay. They have the Chinese revenue advantage. We spoke, I mean, we don't want to do the whole pa- the, podcast. The other about. thing you also know about, this is the final point. The other thing that's interesting about the beer cases, for their other areas... Fintech payments is raising a lot of money. Yes. Logistics, not so much. E-commerce, mm-hmm. most certainly not. Definitely so it's not. almost like everybody's just like, yeah, you, Jumia, you want to take a, a whole lot of money and set fire to it? Be my guest. Yeah. <laughs> like, we're going to go on this payment side um, yeah. right now. But, okay. yeah. Basically, let me first of all just ground everyone. What are the actual numbers? Like, objective fact. IPO'd at $14.50. Stock price, 
all-time high stock price of $49. Now it's $3.86. So it's either 80% down for the IPO or 90% down for their all-time high. That's just Those are just the facts, objective facts, not my opinion. <laughs> Another key part of this we haven't spoken about yet is when I read about the IPO and I read a lot about the company, there were a lot of conversation about, is Jumia really an African company? Um, is Jumia really African? Are they German? Are they from Dubai? So I understand the perspective on that. I'm not sure that matters as much because yeah, at, the end, of, at the end of the day, we're going to talk about whether they're a successful business or not. But at the end of the day, most of the customers are in African countries and they're trying to help those customers have access to something they didn't have access to. Okay, now let's talk about bear case, bull case. So I'm calling mine the web van case which is the not so good case and the Amazon case, which is the amazing case. So let's talk about the web van um, bad case. Basically in that scenario, it basically means e-commerce is still too early. Mm -hmm. Infrastructure isn't set up. E-commerce is fundamentally a low margin business. They're not able to have successful outcomes in their other things. And the market starts to really favor profitability over growth, which by the way, since we work, that's basically the case. The third thing is a lot of investors give up, continue to sell the stock. The stock goes down, they run out of cash. So the bear case is, is that e-commerce too early, not enough cash, market sells, and then things don't go well. One thing to know about this bear case is Amazon took about six and a half years to get profitable. Jumia now it's eight years um, and they're still not profitable. And by the way, that's apples to oranges because Amazon had like more cash throughout its history than Jumia did. So that's just to show you how hard it is and why this bear case seems to be the more likely outcome. Okay, now the bull case. Okay, the Amazon, Alibaba, bull case, things go well. E-commerce accelerates, adoption accelerates due to COVID. Jumia Pay spin out is super successful and they just focus on that, which are the examples we gave before. Alipay is like one of the most valuable startups in the world, even though it's technically not a startup. PayPal became way more valuable than eBay, way more valuable. And PayPal, not that it spun out of eBay, but eBay bought PayPal. So there have been a lot of examples. Can Jumia Pay do that? That would be another bull case. And then the distribution slash logistics system, uh, Jumia Logistics becomes super successful. Some info about Jumia Logistics, because we didn't talk about a lot about them. They have a larger fleet than DHL in African countries. They already do distribution for between six and 12 African countries, and especially including Nigeria and Egypt, which are by far, you know, that's... Uh, 200 million Nigeria population, Egypt, 100 million. So that's already a lot of people. There's a story there with either their pay, Jumia Pay being successful or Jumia Logistics being successful. And then obviously the other bull story, which it's it's weird whether this is a bull story, is they get bought out. Like their price gets so low because right now their valuation is 100, 150 million. The valuation gets so low that someone buys them, whether it's the South African company that Bankoli referred to or whether it's Alibaba, whether it's some companies, because at some point it's so low, you're like, well... For 60, 70 million, I'm just going to buy the optionality. You no, know, but you're going to get the liabilities, though. Exactly. You buy the enterprise, but nobody wants that heat. They cannot finance their debt obligations. Nobody wants that smoke. As I looked through their, their 10K, I was very concerned about the cash. I was also concerned about the narrative on the stories they were telling. There is definitely fire on the mountain. Yeah. And it's okay for you to be honest about that, but you can't be honest about that. The, the thing about Jumia Pay, which is hard, is we spoke about payments and fintech last time. It doesn't have a distinctive advantage because normally the advantage of Jumia Pay would be Jumia is so big. There's so many people that already have their payment profiles. It can then spin out. But like four, five, six, seven million, whatever it is, Transgen, they're pre-installed on all devices. They sell 40, 50 million per year. That's already more. Like within one year, if they pre-install on all their devices, they can already sell. They already have more users. So it's like, it's going to be hard. I'll be surprised to see if they're willing to spend as much money to make Jumia Pay successful as Opay is. It also, it also, it also boils down to... Can you stay 
stay yeah, irrational yeah. Long, uh, stay solvent as long as well, the market stays stay irrational. Yeah. Can they keep yeah. staying solvent? If you have 170 million in your Losing two hundred million a year, negative net operating cash flow, one hundred eighty-two million a year. Yeah. You have to finance something. Um, you're one and a half years from running out of cash at a group level. Yeah, you can't sell assets. A yeah. lot of your costs are performing expense, which is growing fifty percent per year. Yeah, the GNA is fifty percent per year. A lot of that is driven by the cost of the IPO, so it costs yeah. a ton of money to IPO. Yeah, um, the cynic's view is we're just going to IPO at all costs, yeah. so people can get out. Yeah, um, you have to IPO now. You need that exit for the early investors. Yeah. So yeah. I want I wanna I do wanna end the conversation on dream on a positive note though. Okay. Imagine you're given a million dollars to lead the turnaround for Ferjumia. What are the things you would do to turn them around? Because that's the positive, right? The positive is there's some events or a group of events that starts mm -hmm. them to turn around. So think about it from that perspective. What are the yeah. things you do? They're paying you, it's your job. So you can't say, yeah. Oh, I don't want the money. You get a million dollars and you're the head of turnaround. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know enough about the numbers, but I would okay. I would okay. definitely do less. I think that that's probably one thing. I would definitely do less. I would do less, less countries, less markets, less things. Yeah. I would go back to unit economics. I would I would make it a smaller business. Because right now I think that the, there's an illusion that like we need to be in all these eleven countries and we need to keep selling this narrative. Definitely not. I would do way less. I don't know what that looks like on a specific basis. Yeah, it depends sure on what it, was. it wasn't the details of like the Nigeria business and the West yeah. Africa business stuff. I just I think there's something there. I don't know where it is. I don't know if it's in logistics or if it's in pay or if it's in like the retail business or if it's in like a marketplace business or whatever it is or a yeah. first party retail business or a third party retail business or retail services business. They have a marketing advertising business that's that's fairly growing and sizable where they yeah. pay people people pay them to advertise on gmail.com. Yeah. You can do less and get more out of it yeah. and then invest in those things. Yeah. I think that's one of the things that has allowed um Amazon as a whole to to be successful as well. Yeah. Um is 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 is, uh, is not I don't want to I don't want to rewrite history and say focus but a lot of the reason that people are crazy about Amazon because everybody knows they have a lot of other insanely profitable businesses. Yeah. Like that's it. Like retail alone is not the reason people think Amazon is cool but yeah. Amazon is unstoppable because they have retail. Yeah. But on top of that, they have other things that are they have an advertising business and a web services business that is that is big and growing. Yeah. So the retail is an interesting side note to that. At the end of the day, sometimes in business, you're in the growth phase. And when you're growing, the, the last thing you care about is profits. But at some point, you have to change the growth phase to the profitability phase. And you have to be like, well, we've grown as much as we can, or we've grown as mm -hmm. much as we want to, and now I want to be profitable. And I think now it just has to be focused on profitability. And they need to find a way to like stem the cash losses. We alluded to this early, but they've had four or five CEOs in the past three years for their Nigerian office, which is their biggest. Um, we didn't talk about the fact Massimiliano Spalesi took over from Juliet three months ago. So they just need to figure out like, what is the oh, leadership game? Juliet has left? She's the chairwoman now, but it's unclear what the chairwoman does because it's a role they made just for her. But anyway, as of January, there's yeah. a new person. So they've had four or five different CEOs for their biggest office in the past couple of years. They just need to solve the leadership thing, focus on profitability, and do do the best they can. So I wish them the best of luck. I think it's a ballsy move. I think there's something there. I just... It's just going to take a long time and a lot of money to figure out, and I hope they can figure it out. But yeah, interesting things I read this week, or read or listened to this week, or saw mm -hmm. this week. Yeah. I read this book by, like, a, 
about Jim Simons, the guy behind Renaissance Technologies. They've made 65% net, only managed $10 billion. Yes. They make a lot of short-term trades and yeah. apparently use a bunch of machine learning and stuff to Don't solve the market. Don't they charge like 330 or something? 2.5. They have some crazy fees, yeah. which is like out of the band. Yeah, 550 or something. Oh, like is it five? Yeah, it's, it's something, it's wild. He's been, he hasn't, they basically manage employees' money at this point. Wow. Very rich. Uh, but it was very interesting. It was an okay book, but it was interesting to just hear their approach to the market and mm. and a counterpoint to like fundamental analysis of people making money in the stock market who know nothing or very little at least to start about finance or investing or sharp ratios or mm. capital asset, capital allocation and stuff like that. And it's just like, it's math, it's numbers, it's patterns, and we can predict it and we can make bets on it and we can be right more often than we're wrong. And look at us, we're rich. How have their returns changed over time? Every time I see those things, I'm like, they have it's, like this return, yeah. then the returns just start to get closer to like the normal returns and it just they, goes down. They are the most secretive firm in the world. The book was very light on details. It was okay. very clear that the author wanted to write a book and has zero access. So it filled it up with a lot of stories about their childhood <laughs> and stuff. It was, but it was okay. It was good. It was good to read that up, way to think about the market. Second thing I read, I read two, I have three things. Second thing is I also read another book called The Halo Effect and Other Business mm-hmm. Delusions. It's basically about the idea that you can't predict performance. So even as I thought about it, as I was preparing for this conversation with Jimmy, is if you say a company is good, it's the halo effect affects whatever you say about a company. So for example, Amazon is great because they are intense and their culture is abrasive and they're focusing on the customer, which is why they are successful. Like the companies are not successful. Like you can't say Jimmy doesn't focus on the customer or whatever. Like it's... It's this word halo effect that what you're really testing when you ask people trying to understand why a company is successful is whatever they're doing, they're going to ascribe it. Yes. So you don't you don't really get anything meaningful there. So he yes. really went after a lot of other like a lot of business press and business publishing. Mm. He abused the Jim Collins books. He basically called people out by name. It's great. <laughs> from from good to great. Yeah, you should, well, you, should, you, should, you should read the book. I think you'd like it. Okay, it's no, I think would, it sounds like it's right up my alley. Like people just like in business you just realize anybody that's trying to tell you the reason the secret of business success. Yes. is lying hmm. not just because it's the, of the halo effect the other delusions but also because strategy is only relevant in the context with which it was deployed like a low cost re- amazon strategy in 1999 will not work today so if amazon was customer obsessed two years ago we're not asking customers what they want work for amazon for example in theory does not, they not work for apple and they both build trillion dollar businesses yes so, so yes. it's like a word like you can go back and be like ooh. Design is really the answer. You have to design and like build what you think customers want before they want it. And then Amazon's like, no, you have to ask customers what they want before they want it, whatever. Yes. Like, yeah, anything could work. Yeah. It depends on what you're building. It depends on so many other things. Yes. You need to look at the entire universe of people and stuff. And it's fascinating. Final piece. I did not realize how big betting in Nigeria is until I looked at this Alexa list of popular websites in Nigeria. And Bet Niger, popular betting site, is number three. It's YouTube, Google, Bet Niger, then Facebook. And I'm like, wait, what? And that was in the past month where there has been no live sports or no live football or barely any live football. And it's still the third. They use page visits and stuff. I'm like, yeah, that, that might be something we should think about if we can talk about next time because I'm curious about that. I agree. So that's all. So Miles of the Market, Halo Effect, and Bet Niger being number three. Side Love it. All right. So my recommendations. I watched this 2016 movie, Dangal, D-A-N-G-A-L. It's an Indian movie. It's amazing. I watched it, I think, like a week and a half or two weeks ago. Basically talking about how an Indian family raised their daughters to become wrestlers and like some of the sexism dynamics in India and how they overcame that. It's amazing. I was basically in tears. 
It was fabulous. Oh, D-A-N-G-L. Oh, I know, man. Emotional. It, when you watch it, you'll see what I mean. So definitely recommend that. <laughs> um, the second thing I started reading a week and a half ago was Jared Diamond's book, Upheaval. So I've always liked Jared Diamond. I think, like, I saw it recommended somewhere. And I was like, okay, I'll start reading it. So I'm, like, a quarter way through. I like the fact he's very, number one, global in nature. So he can comp compares mm. a lot of different things. And then number two, he tells the story from a very personal perspective so it's global because it's comparing countries but the stories are very personal so it's hard to balance those two things um and basically the book is about how countries go through crises and how countries can come out of the other side of that and how how that's synonymous with individuals going through personal crises in their lives and just going back and forth about how there are things to learn from both so so far so good i learned a lot about finland like i said i haven't read any of his books i have guns germs and steelers on my yes. list but it's such a heavy book that I've never really liked. I know. I watched a documentary about it, and then I was like, oh, let me read the book. And I was like, oh, yeah, I've already watched the documentary. I'm not reading that book anymore. Yeah. So. It's dense. It's dense. I hope it's easy to read, though. So cool. Yeah. Thanks for listening. We'd love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, topics you'd like to hear, or just want to say hello, please email info at afferability.com. Thanks.